how the seminars in the 1980s are very similar to the online course scamming industry. I can certainly get into examples and I would love to start talking about how certain scams are very prevalent uh, right now and what they look like, because I think a lot of people would be surprised at some of the things that are, that are not the obvious things like the, you know, the, the Forex trading and stuff like that you see. I think a lot of the Airbnb stuff you see is scams. And, and what I'll say is this, it's very easy for someone to put on a course and have a thousand people sign up and have one of those people be successful, whether it's related to the course material or not. You can always hold that person out to be the person that did well. So anytime I look at someone saying, you know, oh, I have a great course, you know, X, Y, and Z did really well, or X, Y, and Z took it and they're doing, you know, I take it with a grain of salt. How many people had to go through that course? Yes. What you rarely see is this is the percentage of people who come through this course who do X, Y, and Z specifically. It's always, oh, look at this person. He did well. That's just a statistical probability anyway. And that's no different from the 80s when people were putting on these giant seminars. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. This is, once again, the Higher Standard Podcast. I am Chris Nahibi, and I am one of two hosts. I am also known as the Jeff Goldblum of podcasting, the Sasha Baron Cohen of real estate. And sitting next to me, is the one and only Mr. Uchi Wally Wally. Mr. Uchi Bang Bang. The Barry White of podcasting. <laughs> the Fred Flintstone to my Barney Rubble, Said Omar, everybody. Hello, everybody. I know how much that bothers you. It, it doesn't bother me. It's just, you know, it's, it's your call sign. But that's, that's, that's your intro. It's fine. And I'm also calling for the listeners to subscribe to the show and please leave an honest five-star review. And if it's not a five-star review, it's not honest. It's not honest. You're not being honest to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. It's not, yeah. it's not a good way to go. So some important dates coming up, and Say was keenly aware of them and reminded me before the show started. Mm-hmm. Hit me with some dates, brother. We got some big reports coming out that people should be paying attention to. So when, as of, when this episode actually comes out, some of these reports will have already come out. So on Wednesday, the, October 12th, it's the PPI report comes out, right? Let's explain what it is. PPI report. It is, let me tell you, let me give you the proper breakdown. It's a pro, uh, producer price index. Yes. Right. Um, this Which comes will out be a, a lead intro into what inflation could be. So it's just kind of one of those tertiary metrics that come in to let you give you some kind of insight as to what inflation is likely to be reported as. Right. It gives you wholesale prices, producer prices, and basically what businesses pay for the inputs and things that they buy to produce the goods for what consumers buy. So it is largely one portion of CPI. Right. Right. And the hope is that producers, they see the effects of inflation 
and they'll begin to mark down the prices. So it'll let the Fed know that perhaps what they're doing is actually being effective. And I'll be real. I don't see that happening anytime soon. As a matter of fact, as much as people have thought that producers will mark down prices over time, citing the whole the supply and demand argument. Mm-hmm. I think what we've seen historically is a very sticky landscape where people are trying to preserve their income still because they're somewhat in denial of the recessionary economy. Right. People like FedEx, we've talked about in the past, who've had huge issues with changing their pro forma for the next year because of the lower expected demand have been hit really hard by the street instead of being you know applauded for being proactive and giving I get what I would call forward guidance that's approval. That's, that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. So I, I think in this set of circumstances, I, I'm not sure that the PPI report is going to be uh, a dramatic change. And we certainly don't think inflation is going down anyway. No, we don't. So that'll be a precursor to what comes out on Thursday, which as of this episode will be yesterday, uh, the CPI report. New inflation, baby! New inflation. So the Fed is praying that this is now at a seven handle. But uh, no, way. It, no way, no way, no way, right? Gone. It it start. It was trending up last month. I think it's going to trend up again this month. They don't have. We talked about it. They don't have the benefits of some of the things that occurred the previous months. Mm-hmm. Um, and keep in mind, this is not uh, core inflation, uh, right? PC. This is CPI. So because of that, energy and food costs are included, and we know that energy costs, i.e., fuel, gas, has actually started to go back up at the pump. And OPEC just announced that they're going to start cutting back about two million gallon, two million barrels of oil. So we expect to see rises in oil in addition to the things that are going on in Ukraine and Russia, and some of the, uh, I guess, international turmoil that we're seeing that's also impacting impacting oil prices. So I don't expect to see CPI go down. Right. And then as of the date this episode drops, uh, these are the following reports that will also come out on Friday. U.S. retail sales will come out, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what they're hoping to see with that is that this number is coming down, meaning it, the market's starting to cool down and consumers are beginning to tighten up. So I'll say back in April uh, of this year, I was in New York at uh, a chief credit officer thing for an investment bank, and we were talking to other chief credit officers in the room. And just before I got on the plane to go there, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people talking about the consumer sentiment and people were talking about consumer spending in general. And I was just infuriated that, that consumers weren't pulling back. Right. And even to this day, there hasn't been a significant or even really a notable impact to consumer spending. And this after Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, said the consumers are great. And then everybody else came out afterward and, and started right. you know, pressuring him. And now we're talking about recessionary, you know, recessionary trends like a housing recession. And we haven't declared one and all these things. But yet the consumer spending is still there. Right. People are, are oddly unwilling to save right now. And I think it has something to do with the labor market being as strong as it is mm-hmm. and unemployment not moving impactfully up. Yeah. So I, I don't think a lot of these numbers, that these reports that we're, we're expecting to see some changes are going to see any tangible changes until you really start seeing the one thing that drives all these things change. And that's employment. And that's employment. Exactly. Um, now, the Fed has come out and said that the number that they really look at is the PCE report. Mm-hmm. But these are the things that they're looking at in the interim while the PCE report is coming out, seeing that it can start to project how their the report they want to lean on is going to turn out. So to recap, we've got uh, PPI, which is the pricing index. Mm-hmm. We've got CPI, which is the actual total all-in aggregate inflation. And mm-hmm. that's the year-over-year figure, which currently sits at about 8.3% year-over-year, mm-hmm. which is down from, was it 8.6, 8.9? 
believe. 8.7, I believe. 8.7, something like that. Whatever. Yeah. It's been a while. But, but yeah, all the numbers these numbers are nominal, but is they, they you want you want to look at the trends of these things. And and then we have core inflation PC, which comes out much later on, and that has actually been trending up, not down, which is the Fed's marker. And since that time, we have all the oil things we just talked about, but we've also seen the Inflation Reduction Act kick in, uh, at least start to kick in. We've also seen the student debt relief, and these things are printing money uh, against really what the Fed policy is doing. They're, they're actually doing these things, which are not what I would call to reduce inflation. As a matter of fact, the Inflation Reduction Act has been studied by Wharton and other places. We talked about this in previous episodes. And in the near term, will actually impact inflation in a negative way. It'll increase it. Right. So all the things that, that the Fed is trying to do, uh, which normally would be difficult all on its own after 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation, mm-hmm. is also now being impacted by the current political landscape where clearly people are, are more focused on the midterms and then ultimately the elections next year, in November, two years from now, in November 24, right. uh, in which you'll see the run-up in, in 2023. They're, they're more concerned about that than they are really fixing the immediate problem. And you have to think about why. And I, we don't get political on the show. We've said that a million one times. But... There's something to think about and some food for thought. If you're running for office, Democrat or Republican, these are your talking points. Right. I delivered on this promise. I delivered on this or I did that. So if you're, let's say, a Democrat in this situation and you delivered on something like the Inflation Reduction Act, you delivered on something like student debt relief, that's your talking point. Right. If you're a Republican, these things have impacted things. So they're they're really focusing on political political motives right now more than they are really fixing the issue because that's the next presidency's issue. And that was something that I was really naive to as I was growing up and when I was younger, that I thought all these government agencies were working together, have a common goal. But as you as I've gone older and I've looked into these things and learned about them, you start to see that clearly the Fed's trying to do one thing and, you know, our administration's doing something else. Well, to that point, one of the articles that I came across, uh, are you done with uh, the releases? Or is uh, two more, two other reports also to, the, that we'll, we'll update everybody on, not that we expect anyone to look into them, but the uh, import-export report is going to mm-hmm. also come out. That'll let people know about supply chain stuff going on. I think there's going to be some interesting things come out of that as it relates to the supply chain. I think the supply chain is much, much more impacted than people understand. Yeah, and then the last one was uh, on Friday, University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Report. Oh, okay. Yeah. Consumer Sentiment is an interesting one because... As much as consumer sentiment in this particular economy has already seen some impacts, and there's a lot of polls out there you can kind of look at, where truly the consumer has started to feel that we are entering a recessionary economy. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the spending, the result of that sentiment has not changed. I think what now what's going to be scary or what people want to look into is that the market wants to, the market knows that the Fed is going to keep fighting inflation, right? Mm-hmm. So they, it's that's understood, and the Fed has made it very, very clear that that's what they're going to do. The market's going to want to start seeing consumers worried and losing confidence, and then potentially backing off some of the purchases. If not, how does that impact the market if they don't see consumers changing their actions and how they work on a day to day and what what they put their money and what they buy versus you know? So I'll give you, I'll answer your question with more of a hypothetical that everybody should think about. Okay. You and I were planning at some point later on in the show to talk about what you saw Jamie Dimon say yes. today, right? Right. So what did Jamie Dimon say today? Jamie Dimon said that we'll, we'll likely be see a recession in the next six to nine months. Okay. Which we think that's, you know, far later. It's a little out, 
too far out. So that's from a CNBC article titled, This is Serious. J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon warns U.S. likely to tip into recession in six to nine months. Also predicts another 20% to fall in the S&P. So I, I don't disagree with the additional room to fall right. statement. Uh, certainly, I think I've listened to a lot of, I mean, we've talked last time about the Ch- Chamath and on the All In podcast was saying, you know, we're getting, getting to the bottom. I don't think we're anywhere near the, the bottom of whatever this is yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really, truly unprecedented. So I'd rather not debate the, the semantics of it. What I will say is interesting is, is that likely to tip into a recession in, in six to nine months. So let's play this through logically from a time perspective, okay? We currently sit in October as we record this, and it'll come out in October. Mm-hmm. So you got uh, November, December, January, February, March, April of next year. Wow. Six months, right? Mm-hmm. Now let's just say maybe... Nine months. So May, June, July, July. So April to July next year is where Jamie Dimon thinks we're going to be in a recessionary economy. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, the Fed has already somewhat telegraphed that they're not going to be reducing rates next year. Mm-hmm. So Jamie Dimon believes we've got a long runway of slow burn and pain before we acknowledge a recessionary economy. Now, if you listen to the show frequently, you know that we already believe that we've been in a recession since January 1 of this year. And that'll be declared that by the National Bureau of Economic Research, Enber, at some point in time in the future, likely in the same period of time. Right. I, it's unclear to me whether Jamie Dimon is referring to that declaration mm-hmm. or if he's referring to the state of the economy getting worse. And it sounds like that's more like what he's referring to. And if that, if that were to be true, he's probably also hinting at that's when unemployment's really going to start ticking up and we're, where maybe people will feel like we're in a recession, whereas right now people may not be feeling it as much. So that's what I'm thinking he's referencing. Now, he did, he did have a positive spin on this. One of the key points from the article, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO, Jamie Dimon, said the U.S. economy was, quote, actually still doing well, end quote. And that could be because of some of the things we talked about, like the mm-hmm. labor market's still relatively strong. Consumer spending in and of itself is still strong. Right. Despite the fact that consumer sentiment is worried, even Jamie Dimon's own sentiment here comes from a worried perspective. At present, uh, and consumers were likely to be in better shape compared to the 2008 global financial crisis when the world tips into recession, or the world tipped into recession, I should say. Um, yeah. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I would say if there is something that's going to be 2008 level-ish, well, I'm not really specifically referring to real estate, but I'm just saying that impactful to the world, mm-hmm. we haven't seen what that is yet. It's still unknown. Mm-hmm. It could be a breakdown in... In some markets, the credit markets are improbable, right? given the current status. In this article, too, he went on to say he was giving some blame to you know, economies outside the U.S. that will be causing us to fall into a recession. So he was, I do agree with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we all do. I mean, it's a, this is a global thing, right? Um, we'll get into some of that later. But I, I actually wanted to ask you, so at what point and why does, um, how did Jamie Dimon's voice become, you know, and what he has to say so much? Um, I don't know, he's become so much more popular and people follow him more. I wanted to ask you, and I'm sure some of our listeners would like to know. I mean, of course, we know he's the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, but how? I don't think he's not, a, these other CEOs are not household names like Wells Fargo CEO, Charles Scharf, Bank of America. I only know him and I know our listeners only know him because of what we've said about him on the podcast, Brian so, Monahan, and Citigroup yeah. is CEO, Jane Frazier. So, yeah, okay, so... Wells Fargo's got a new CEO. This is actually the second since their whole scandal. Right. There was an interim person stepped in. I think it was Tim Sloan back then. Yes. Uh, the, the interim person stepped in, and then who was, I think, their general counsel or something like that, and stepped in. 
and then now this person uh-huh. um, and then you have um wells fargo in a pivot if you will from what they were at one point in time because of that fallout you have bank of america changing from what was uh, probably a more diverse bank into truly a consumer bank yeah and a lot of the programs they're putting out and brian monahan has has done that but by far and away chase is jp morgan chase is the largest bank in the world yeah and therein lies their their stronghold and when i say larger bank i mean it is significantly larger than everybody else and and that's why he's given so much credit and people care what he has to say not necessarily just that so jamie diamond came to chase vis-a-vis an acquisition it was MA activity and he he wasn't always a chase guy he came into the system vis-a-vis his involved in a, in a previous bank this is not uncommon in the banking system a lot of merger acquisition a lot of senior people uh, elevate if they're not let go uh but jamie diamond more than most of them is a politician so you'll find that a lot of what he does uh is Calculated? Not, not necessarily calculated. I'm trying to think of the right word here. He he's very concerned with the optics of what he does and who he endorses. Mm-hmm. And if you if you ever met Jamie Dimon, he's like six four. He's a big dude. Like you know, he's got okay. presence, and, and he's extremely articulate. He's extremely well spoken. And his job by by far and away is to give the world confidence in the banking system. But he's also tapped into a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it's not uncommon to see uh, what are people that I would say that are on the East Coast that 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 do what he does for a living where they're, they're constantly in they're constantly getting out there and talking to people and he does a lot more that than i think some of the other ceos do okay granted he's going to get invited because the largest bank so he's gonna have a larger larger voice at the table but he more than most really chops it up you'll find that he's he's constantly doing something and yeah. he's constantly involved in something it begs a question like are you really a ceo at that point are you actively managing the company right do you have great senior leadership a succession plan you let people run their thing and then your job is to get out there and push the brand and that is also a ceo's role it's just which one do you heavily heavily you know push towards he's clearly a guy who's out there doing those things and i think that's what's built him up in the community over time is he's not just in-house taking care of business his bank is structured well mm-hmm. it's performed well right it's not restructuring like a wells fargo exactly recovering it's not like a bank of america he's successfully run the company now for a long time exactly and because his track record is what it is and it's also the largest and he's got a political kind of spin and narrative in some ways i think he's just over time been that guy for the banking sector got it got it okay so somewhat of an ambiguous answer, but there really is no clearly defined period where Jamie, Dick, Jamie Diamond became the, the voice of banking, but in a lot of ways he has. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Lots, lots of interesting things to say. I've, I've listened to a lot of his commentary over the years and, and try to get a feel for what, uh, what he's like. I've got, gone to Wikipedia, read his bio and stuff like that. I mean, part of it's because I'm in banking, so I kind of, you know, nerd out on it. But, right. Right. And part of it's just because I'm, I'm curious to see exactly, you know, yeah, because I've always noticed that anytime he says anything, it, it it reaches every headline versus you never see these other people. Well, I mean, look, think of if uh, Tim Cook at Apple came out and said something about the tech sector, right? That's going to make ha- headlines. It's Apple; they're like the largest in the world, and you know that's what they do, right? So uh, it's just that I, I don't think people think of banks the same way. The, the problem is, is most people who drive down the street when they see banks, yeah, they never really know how big they are. Yeah, yeah, it's true, right? And if you go to like Oklahoma, there's a lot of banks that don't work in oklahoma wells fargo is there i know that for sure because obviously wells fargo is there but there's a lot of banks that won't go to certain states and they might be huge in your neighborhood they might be huge in new jersey or it might be huge in in florida but they might not be anywhere else right and that's where i think community banking regional super regional banks they still exist they still serve a purpose i think you'll always get a better customer service there but to most consumers you build a better banking relationship with them as well oh one thousand percent but to most consumers though they don't know the difference yeah the size difference, they, they might know that Wells Fargo, Bank of America, uh, Chase, um, 
Citibank or big banks, mm-hmm. but they don't know how big they are relative to one another. Got it. Yeah. All right. Um, and then your girl Kathy Wood was out here today talking to from Ark Investments. Mm-hmm. She said in an o- open letter that the Fed Reserve uh, she has been making a big mistake of, by overharking rates and getting on them for using lagging indicators to make their decisions. So this is her quote. The Fed seems focused on two variables that, in our view, are lagging indicators, downstream inflation and employment, both of which have been sending conflicting signals and should be calling into questions the Fed's unanimous call for higher interest rates. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of people who are, who are backseat driving. Yeah. I mean, it's easier, easier to sit now, right? Like as in like Monday morning quarterback. A lot of people were doing this. You got Jim Cramer saying that, that the, the Fed is not making decisions based off de- data at all. Mm. Granted, it's Jim Cramer, big asterisk. He's generally wrong. But you got a lot of people who are saying that. I watch CNBC all day long in my office, and you guys know that. And I, I can tell you that everybody's got an opinion on this. Yeah, and it, it hurts her business too. I mean, she's losing money on this. Obviously, it, it's in her best interest to keep you know the money rolling. It is, but here, here's the thing: it is let, let's just say that there's not a best interest spin here. Let, let's just be optimistic. My problem with all of this is it's really hard to do the Fed's job. Yeah, as much as I yeah. want to criticize everybody else, and we and, joke and we make fun. Yeah, yeah, I mean they acted late. I think we all acknowledge that. I mean everybody unilaterally acknowledged the Fed acted late, and I can. I can appreciate there are probably pressures there that we don't fully understand. and might never understand fully. Right. But what I will say is for them to, to need to do this and have, frankly, the balls to do it is not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. We know the, the ramifications to the economy, to the national debt. We know the, the ramifications to us, the consumers. And we know how slow things have been moving even after all these historic interest rate increases. Right. It's got to be a gut check. I mean, can you imagine... Jerome Powell going home at night, sitting in front of a television in a dark room with his fam- <laughs> family asleep, going like, seeing the news and going, you know what? I'm doing the right thing still. I mean, he's got to have some yeah, hesitation, yeah. right? Of course. Yeah. He sees what he's doing and like people are calling it that like he's kicking people while they're down now where he could have done it, you know, a year earlier, a year and a half earlier. But imagine if he started raising interest rate hikes like during the pandemic. People would have been calling, like, what are you doing now of all times? So it would have been hard back then, too. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, to your point, it would have been extremely difficult then. It's extremely difficult now. And Kathy Wood, as much as she's been successful uh, historically, the last couple of years have really taken a bite out of her. Mm. Her her, uh, her ARC funds have not done exceptionally well, and she's made some bets against the market. I'm sure if she were in the room with us, she would say something to the effect that betting against the market is probably what's made her successful uh, historically. But yeah. I, I don't know that some of her most recent bets are good ones, frankly. And right. and some of her decision-making as of late, at least in the funds, seems to have not been returning a lot of money. Right. That's just observationally kind of my stance. Not saying that it discredits her, but I would say that for her to be mad that the Fed is making decisions off of lagging indicators, I would say the entire rhetoric from the White House from the Fed from day one has always been, well, the labor market's strong. That's always been a lagging indicator. So why weren't you pissed off and saying this seven months ago? Right. I mean, just kind of my, my food for thought there. Going back and touching the bank thing, I wanted to pull this up just because I thought it'd be interesting to talk about. Yeah. JP Morgan Chase, $3.38 trillion in size. Wow. Bank of America, $2.44 trillion in size. Citigroup, $1.72 trillion. Wells Fargo, $1.71 trillion. 
and then it falls off below that. U.S. Bank Corp is is about 582 billion, PNC about 534 billion, and then all the way down, Goldman 501 billion, and right all the way down uh, down the street you go. So, I mean, these these are these are large institutions, but you can see there's a big gap between the top, yeah, exactly, uh, and the ones in the in the top the top 15 like the bottom two silicon valley bank at 211 billion and uh, fifth third bank at 205 billion so right. there's a huge gap in the top 15 right right yeah. so you can see how much bigger everybody else is and if if uh you know you have some regional community banks they might be you know um 30 and when people are usually are talking about the banking industry right they're usually talking about the top six right and look well, at the yeah. look at the difference between the you know JP Morgan Chase at 3.38 trillion and number 6 PNC Financial at 534 billion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I mean that's a big drop off. It's a huge drop off and I think that's where people don't really understand the magnitude of what JP Morgan is. So mm-hmm. when you see Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan out there talking it's because he runs the uh, bank when you see Ryan Moynihan uh, he's getting Bank of paid. America yeah you, that they're yeah, he's making a lot of money. He's getting yeah. paid. Don't, so his salary is public record. I'm not going to read it on on, on the show cuz it's just going to make everybody sad. Yeah yeah yeah. But suffice it to say he is in the highest tax bracket. <laughs> yeah, he is not having a problem uh with uh Uber Eats. Right. I mean? like he's, he's going to spend that money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's going to pay for the highest ad tier on Hulu. Yeah. He he's making NBA money. Him and yeah. Bron Bron going after it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he doesn't need endorsements. He's got a job. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So we'll you know, leave that there. So nothing not to detract from Kathy Wood or anything, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. at the same time, mortgage rates according to Money Wise step back from the brink but hesitation is still at a 25-year high. The quote from the article with rates, perilously, 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 perilously. Ooh, it's late. It's, it's late, guys. It's late. Give him a break. It is close to one Reading rainbow. Yeah. No, 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 reading rainbow. It's been late. I've been <laughs> drinking. I had to go date yeah. now with the wife. With rates perilously close to 7%, Americans who wanted, who waited just a few weeks to buy are now spending more than $200 extra every month. And that really just comes down to the rate difference. But Effectively, rates started to come back for the first time in seven weeks. Mortgage rates went down. Mm-hmm. The rate on a thirty-year uh, fixed mortgage this week, as of the show we're recording it, was six point six six percent. Six point six six percent this week. Six six six. Yeah, uh, down from six point seven percent. So only point zero four percent down from one week ago. Right. So that's where it kind of peaked. That was the first time in seven weeks it went down. So that, I mean, this is. This is a bit of a calming, uh, I think, uh, a little bit of calm before the storm, but <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it's anything to celebrate. Um, mortgage finance uh, Freddie, uh, giant Freddie Mac reported this on Thursday of last week. Last year, this time, the typical rate was 2.99%. Big difference. So more than double. Drives it home, that affordability comment that we always say. Yeah. So it's, Demand it's without funny. affordability is... Not demand, baby. Woo! Right. Catchphrase. So we got a lot of Q&A for the end of the show. Mm-hmm. But before we start moving away from our typical finance topic, I wanted to quote uh, an interesting article by the Jungle Boys. The Jungle, the Jungle Boys. <laughs> Who are the Jungle Boys? It's an Instagram page, but the the, the tagline was so good. Yeah, yeah. I had to, I had to just. Uh, you're doing this, not me. No, no. I I am I am I'm giving this to you. Okay. As a lob for you to dunk it. Oh, okay. All right. Hold on tight, kids. The NFT that Logan Paul purchased for over $600,000 is now worth $10. Oh, my God. $10. But it makes... Okay, so you know he got some kind of side deal for it, too, to promote it. God knows how else he got paid. I mean... It's sad. He probably that, got paid in the NFTs, dude. I'm just, 
<laughs> yeah, but that's just why why invest in this? I don't know. I still don't understand it. I could take a picture of it and put it up myself and I also have the same one. But I did some digging on this because you posted it on the show notes. So remember how he got really famous not too long ago with the whole boxing thing? The guy he was boxing is this guy from, I think, London. His name is KSI. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really follow his career, but yeah. I don't okay. follow his career too, but that those two had a couple rematches or whatever they were boxing. So he invested $2.8 million in Luna. Oh, is this uh, Logan Paul? No, this is KSI. Oh, KSI did. Yeah. Oh so my a little God. You, know, you know how far Luna has gone down? Well, that's what I'm about to They're say. They're like literally negative 100%. No, so, like, so KSI boxing competitor investor invested $2.8 million in Luna uh, when it was trading at $25. That's worth $0 right now. <laughs> well, now, well, currently right now, his investment is at two hundred eighty grand. Fuck. At that point, do you even care about two hundred eighty grand? I mean, and he's still, I think, still holding on to it. Oh, man. They, he, these well, guys, then what are you going to do? You're not going to sell thing. that. Here's the thing. These guys have such a young following that who knows how many people they've affected with this. That's the part that kills me, you know, with the influencers and the the young demographic. No, but I mean, the young demographic, they're taking like financial advice from Logan Paul and KSI. Dude, I know so many people that were buying NFTs. Like they were they were hoarding them. They were buying everything they could. They were watching these drops. They had MetaWallet. I mean, it was it was shocking how deep deep in, in NFTs people got. I mean, we, we interviewed some people that are very successful entrepreneurs. Who, but that's who not were, all they were doing, though. No, but I don't care who you are. I really don't care. Right. You put $600,000 into something and it's worth $10, you're not going to feel good about that. No. no. You're not, you're not <laughs> looking in the mirror going, you know, know what? It's okay. I know. It's a write-off. You're not doing that. Logan Paul, he does, he does a lot of weird random things. He, I think he invests like millions of dollars into Pokemon cards. Okay, well, let, let's address some of this. Overall, this year has been a tough year for NFTs, and I'm quoting here, with trading volumes down 97% from January of 2022. This year, 10 months down 97%. You know what? Name another investment you can go into and lose 97% in seven, eight, uh, 10 months. Uh, I don't even know what to say. I, I, I honestly, I, I gen- I, it's to the point where we can no longer make fun of them. I genuinely feel bad. So I'm just going to throw this out there, and I'm going to describe it to you. You tell me how stupid this sounds. The Azuki collection comprises 10,000 hand-drawn profile picture avatars that secure a buyer's inclusion into an exclusive Web3 community, airdrops, and a Discord community. What the fuck does that even mean? Hand-drawn. Hand-drawn. Profile picture. 10,000. They don't sound right, that exclusive. So you have a, I, it's a picture of a hand-drawn picture. What are we doing here? Well, who's buying this? I'm just saying. Man. So there, there's clearly a problem with a lot of these, a lot of the space that volumes have dropped off pretty significantly. Hopefully these are just trends that have now come and gone and people have learned from it and don't get Oh, you thought we're it. done trashing NFTs. We're not. We're see, not. I got more to go. See, hey, crypto bros, just know who's driving this. No, they already came after me, bro. They're coming <laughs> after you. They are, I, everybody's already gotten the email from the official Chris Nahibi, okay? At yeah. gmail.com. Yeah, exactly. That guy's not me, okay? I'm not trying to sell anybody cryptocurrency. I'm only doing this so that they send an email for Saeed to fake sell you some cryptocurrency, okay? <laughs> no, never. Your official Saeed never. Omar at gmail.com. Saeed Omar will never send the you an email. number one cryptocurrencies for the official Saeed Omar. <laughs> they don't even know what you look like. You're a clear candidate for this, yeah, not me. That, that's why I have to come out yeah. with some socials. NFT trading volume has fallen 97% from $17 billion in January of 2022. 
to 466 million, which is still a lot more than I thought in September of 2022. Right. As broader crypto markets tank this year, it goes on, but it's um, it's not good. And I'll say the cyberpunks. Remember the cryptopunks? Remember those? Yes. Uh, another popular collection saw a 56% increase in sales volume despite sales falling below 100 million for the seventh consecutive month. 56% increase? Who's still out there buying it? Do you think some of this is like hedge fund activity? I think it's people offloading them. Yeah. I think that's what's going on. Jeez. Uh, and then also OpenSea, the number one trading platform. Think of it as the the uh, conduit for all of these to be traded. There are some other trading platforms, but it is largely the one that this is all done on. Uh, their volume hit a long-term low in August of 2022, which we reported on in a previous episode. People will have lost so much money on this that you know, uh, government's going to have to step in and definitely put in some regulation. That that has been a, a lot of what people have been talking about, and and I I do think that well, but let's just say regulation doesn't come in. I mean, does the whole concept of digital art like this uh, strike you as unique? That's the part about this whole thing that that let, let's get rid of the community rhetoric. You buy into a community. I mean, I guess Gary Vee's doing that with VCon and some of the stuff that he's doing. And I get there. There's some stuff there, right? But is that really worth a premium dollar amount? The way it stands, is the art in and of itself worth that much? No, I think somebody like Gary Vee, you get access to something, you can physically go to something. I think that's where this will go. But do I think the art lasts as avatars? Nobody cares, bro. No, nobody cares. I don't want to look at your avatar. I want to look at your face. Right, exactly. The avatar itself doesn't mean anything. It has to come from the artist, right? So, like, for instance, if, like, if Banksy made something, maybe, because he's an actual artist who has some credibility, right? If Alec Monop- yeah, but if I- Alec Monopoly made something, maybe. Wow, did you drop an Alec Monopoly? That's so hip and cool of you. You didn't even know who that yeah, was a couple yeah, months yeah, ago. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I remember, turned I remember you on that. Alec, bro. Don't, no, you, no, don't you even didn't. take that. You did not. I, I, you stopped that shit. No, 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 you didn't. Because listen, listen. I remember the first piece of uh, artwork I've seen of Alec Monopoly. It was at Barry's Cafe down in L.A. And I saw it on the wall. I was like, this is so fucking cool. I want, I want this guy. So I remember I got on my phone. I Googled it. I wanted to. I asked the waitress, like, oh, whose artwork is this? She laughed at me like, fucking idiot. Right, and I was like, was Alec- oh, so, I- so we know this is a real story now. <laughs> yeah, and it's like this is Alec Monopoly, right? I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I, I Google it. First piece, original piece, fifty grand. Okay, cool. I'll never own yeah. one. Yeah, well, I mean, it's gone up now. He he was a uh, he was kind of like Banksy that he was unknown for a long period of time. Now, and everybody knows who he is, what it looks like. Though. Right. Yeah. He's basically, gotta- basically, he makes really cool artwork with the Monopoly guy. Uh, and some of the stuff too. Yeah, and some a lot of other stuff. That's he's also good. a DJ. Travels the, the DJing thing. Right. Yeah. He, he makes he, he lives a great life. Yeah. yeah I follow yeah. him on Instagram. Let me tell you right now, it's uh, it makes my life look pretty <laughs> shitty. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. Check his stuff out. Yeah, he's not he's not hurting for uh, fun things to do. That's for sure. Right. So uh, we, you'll notice that we are going to get right into the Q and A section this week, largely because there's a shit ton of questions, and because Saeed bores me. Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah, you're a boring guy, buddy. Yeah. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I thought I would read something that I, I thought was interesting that I shared with Saeed. Mm, probably going to bore me. <laughs> <laughs> so a long time ago, my wife and I went to Japan and we mm-hmm. met with a friend, Daniel, Daniel Tang. Mm. Listens to the show. Random comment, but I always enjoy when you say Mr. Uchi Wally Wally. Oh, Daniel. Mr. Uchi Bang Bang. He likes it when I say Uchi Bang Bang or when you say Uchi Wally Wally. He didn't clarify, but uh, I'm assuming he meant me saying it to you. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, he was very, very uh, unclear. Thanks, Daniel. And one more house cleaning item. If you haven't left a review, you should. But if you do leave us a good one, we read them on the show. 
Yes. And the reason why we read them on the show is, is because they really matter to us. And we actually... And we appreciate you. We do. We do appreciate you a lot. So I'm going to read this one because I liked it a lot. Honestly, it's probably one of my favorite ones. This one is really? No lie. Because I thought I, I gen- genuinely got a laugh out of me. I laughed out loud. That's hurtful. <laughs> why? Because I, I feel like you're laughing because it mentioned my name or whatever. You know what? No, no, you'll know why. It's the- right. My honest five-star review. Great podcast. I could go on and on uh, about what I love about it, but I'll keep it short. It's extremely entertaining and informative. It has opened my eyes and mind on the economy, specifically the real estate sector, my specialty, and on investing, my husband's specialty. He likes it when I'm asking him further explanation and questions on things Chris and Saeed talk about. Although I don't recommend listening while lifting weights, Chris and Saeed crack jokes throughout the podcast, and let me tell you, squatting and laughing do not go together. That's true. That is correct. Ain't that the truth? Uh, Now, what I will tell you is I tend to listen to our own show, because I'm arrogant, while on the Stairmaster. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, I'll catch myself occasionally listening to the Mind Pump podcast while working out. And um, sometimes they'll. I don't, I don't like to listen to working out while working out. I would look, you know, yeah. stuff about working no, out. No, so, it, it gets me focused on the workout from time to time. Really? Yeah, occasionally, sometimes. All right. Um, and they actually have great topics, and sometimes it gets really engaging. And then, like, halfway through my workout, you know, they'll dive into some personal stuff, and um, some of the jokes that they lay really make me start laughing. So I can't, I can't laugh while lifting either. <laughs> that, that, that's your contribution to this conversation. Yeah, yeah that, that's why I related, I related to the, the review. Okay. Speaking of relating to reviews, I offered uh, everyone 20 bucks for the best question. So please keep that in mind while we go through a lot of questions. Okay. Let's start with the first one. Best investment strategy for a baby. Everyone says 529, but will tuition be relevant in 18 years? Right. Mm. We had the same dilemma ourselves, um, actually. So we we opted, my wife and I actually opted to just uh, invest in, for the kids in mutual funds. Okay. Yeah. Anything in particular, any, any fund in particular you're investing in? Or like no, no, some Vanguard stuff. Low cost index low funds. Cost index funds. I like yeah. BOO, which is their uh, S&P 500 index fund. Yeah. For the same reason. I don't know. I, I don't know where the educational system is going to be when, when, they're, when they're there. And I'm not going to force them. I would obviously love for them. I'm going to preach education. Um, but if for whatever reason they want to go a different route, then I don't want them to be tied to those you know, penalties and whatnot. So, so shout out to, to you for thinking about your kid. A lot of people don't have the luxury of doing that. So start, let's start there. I personally do not have a 529. I have a normal trading account uh, for my son, like Saeed does, for a number of reasons. Uh, should he not want to go to college, uh, he could use that money to invest in a business. Mm-hmm. If he does want to go to college, there's obviously a little bit of a higher tax burden. However, to your point, we don't really know what, if tuition will even be relevant. Uh, there is a number of, of colleges that were really, really high endowment colleges that we've been talking for a long time about not really charging tuition in the traditional sense because it's it's somewhat irrelevant to their bottom line. Right. I don't know where all that winds up. I know that less and less kids are going to school and enrollment in a lot of colleges is struggling. I just felt more comfortable having a little more options that wasn't that weren't necessarily tied into a five twenty nine plan personally. Right. And I didn't want them to feel tied down to anything. So like I planned their life out for them. I hate you, Dad. Yeah. Why you make me do this? Now, I do have uh, uh, an allocation that I set aside for our son every single year in cash that I want to contribute to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty consistent, although I do do it. I do do it once a year, usually in the beginning of the year, like January, February. We do it monthly. So it's oh. part of our part of our monthly expenses. It's just auto, auto direct deposit out of our accounts straight in. Like we don't even see it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's why we do it. I, 
I look at it as I can put a lump sum in and then I have cash sitting in the account and we can, I can buy, I say we, my wife and I, we can, we can buy anything that we want to buy for a long-term hold. Mm-hmm. What I'll typically do is I have, um, so I, I do have an active trading account that I, I currently manage myself and it's not active like day trading. It's just, I have cash in there and I have some securities in there and some stock and, and I'll buy things that I think are a long-term interest to me. Right. Uh, if I see a great company, like this is a classic example I use. Lululemon CEO came out and said they don't make clothes for quote fat people, which was AKA obviously not Chris and Saeed. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Not I could not fit in any of their clothes back then. I wonder why. But I, <laughs> I, the, the the real truth is, I knew that the clothes were amazing, and that guy's an idiot, and he got fired. I knew he was going to get fired, and they were right. somebody else. And so I knew all the stock price impacts were going to be temporary. So I bought and then sold when when it when it healed through and went through that. Mm-hmm. And I was passing the capital gains mark for long term holds. Yeah. And another thing that something that my wife and I have been dragging our feet on that we really need to do is, you know, uh, do some estate planning, create a family trust. Yeah. Family trusts are, are um, the problem for most people informing a family trust to do it right. You really should go see an attorney. And I rarely recommend people go see an attorney, but this is one of those things I think you got to do mm-hmm. because a good estate planning attorney will, will sit you down and you'll have a very tough conversation about your family. Yes. It's, this is not a conversation you want to have your wife alone. You want to, you want someone to kind of poke you and say, Hey, if you guys die, right. What happens? And there's, there's a lot of walk through there. A lot of different tangents. It goes Mm -hmm. some different variables. So, um, and then this is not a one-time thing. Your wealth will hopefully increase over time. So you have to go back every couple of years and modify it and have a singular relationship with an attorney where you can go back and consistency and the modifications and the process and the forms is really important. Right. And that can generally be pretty expensive. Bro, you're taking me off, off topic. It's actually not that expensive. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, it is for, I mean, for, for, most for, people, for a trust to get started, uh, you're talking, I think you can get it done for about 2,500 bucks, maybe a little less, maybe a little more depending oh, on where yeah, you yeah. go. So the way I look at it is this is, is it is expensive for a lot of paperwork that you may not ever use. Yes. You do insulate your assets from from liability from risk. That's mm-hmm. got some priceless, you know, impacts to you. And if you die tomorrow, that guides your kids through how everything happens. And exactly, that is priceless, right? And you'll also be saving them a lot of money on taxes. So you're paying a little bit of money up front now for them to not pay any money later. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Not a question, but a deep dive on the actual horse scammer industry. Mm. I think we'll table that and actually do that on, on an upcoming episode. That was a great, that was a great kind of question slash comment. I think I would it. love to do it. You we know? could do a whole episode on that. Yeah. If you go back to the early, early, early days of the podcast, one of the first things I talked about was how the eighties were back, uh, in, in one of the early episodes. And basically that was breaking down how the seminars in the 1980s are very similar to the online course scamming industry. That is a little bit of that, but I can certainly get into examples and I would love to start talking about how. Certain scams are very prevalent uh, right now and what they look like, because I think a lot of people would be surprised at some of the things that are, that are not the obvious things like the, you know, the, the Forex trading and stuff like that you see. I think a lot of the Airbnb stuff you see is scams. And, and what I'll say is this, uh, and this is all I'll say in the topic so we can get to that episode at a future date, is that it's very easy for someone to put on a course and have a thousand people sign up mm-hmm. and have one of those people be successful, whether it's related to the course material or not. Mm-hmm. that person in and of itself just from odds was going to happen in your course at some point in time someone was going to be doing well right you can always hold that person out to be the person that did well so anytime i look at someone saying you know oh i have a great course you know x y and z did really well or x y and z took it and they're doing you know i take a grain of salt how many people had to go through that course 
Yes. What you rarely see is this is the percentage of people who come through this course mm -hmm. who do X, Y, and Z specifically. Right. It's always, oh, look at this person. He did well. Mm -hmm. That's just a statistical probability anyway. And that's no different from the 80s when people were putting on these giant seminars. Right. So take all that stuff with a grain of salt. We'll definitely break that down in a future episode. I think this question's for you, Saeed. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, how much you making from feet pics? <laughs> I, I got great feet. Great feet. They, they are you, they are hairy. You know, no, they're I not. I've had laser hair removal. You have not. Yeah, I have, but not on my feet because I don't need them. You've got hairy yeah. feet. No, I don't. You can't see them right now. You do have hair in your feet. I should actually start making Bro, I'm looking at your arms yeah. right now. If you have that much arm hair and like palm hair, like that you've got hair on your feet. <laughs> okay. Don't don't yeah, sit got, here and bullshit everybody. I got I got Robin Williams hands. You do have Robin Williams hands. Yeah. And do you ever see his comedy routine? What do you do with his hands? No. Oh, you should uh, go back and look at it. <laughs> yeah. Robin Williams is not exactly what I would call politically correct in his yeah. early days of comedy. And so Legend. his feet are very hairy. Yeah. Uh, update on the Skyline build. Um, mm. the, yeah, the, the Hakuska, uh, which is really a Datsun, 1968 Datsun 510 with a Skyline GTR from 71 on the front end of it because the front end had an 18 wheeler backup into it. How long has this project been running for, uh, for the people that don't know? Uh, maybe eight years. Yeah. Chris actually took this whole car apart in his garage. I did. And then the engine that has a SR20 DET. It's a, it's a pretty common engine from an S13, uh, which you, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's all good. Just consider it this way. Take an old, I took an, a modern American, a modern Japanese engine, uh, turbo engine, and put it in an old car because the old car uh, wasn't required to have smog if it's pre-1975. Wow. It's the car is running. It came off the dyno. It works. It runs incredibly smooth considering all electronics are in. It is a fully functional car. The only problem is the body kit, which was messed up uh, with the paint shop and the history there. That needs to be repaired. It's up in Sacramento at Igor Shop, CA Tune. Shout out to Igor. Love that guy. He has both my, my project cars right now. We're going to talk through a plan uh, probably this week on what we're going to do with the body to get it fixed. And then that car is essentially done. Any chance it goes to SEMA? Uh, certainly not this year. Seems like at, at the end of this month. So, oh, is it? Yeah, uh, certainly not this year. I know that's been something that you've been hoping for. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I'll offer it up to the guys if they want to take it. Then, then great. Mm -hmm. uh, another question for you. Oh, <laughs> where do babies come from? <laughs> where do babies come from? I don't know why everybody's asking you these. These, these <laughs> they're saying, are they addressing me, Saeed? Saeed, I'd like to know. I, I feel like I feel like you meant that. He didn't yeah, say yeah. Saeed. I'd like to know. It's funny. Our kids, our kids, still to this day think that uh, they get pooped out. They don't. They don't, they don't know it because obviously he's six years old. What am I going to do? Explain How would to they him? even know they get pooped out? Well, they well they see people who are pregnant. And they go, oh, like uh, where does that go? No, like what's in there? It was that's a baby in there. Um, be careful and then they, now you have to explain how does the baby come out well that's your answer my friend babies get pooped up yeah okay <laughs> exactly uh what's the best thing to do with cash right now if you have some investment wise and we've talked about holding right Waiting yeah for the right I think opportunity. You hold. yeah I, I, we've always been a fan of, of holding at least so let's let's just take jamie diamond as the most recent example we talked about we opened the show with that jamie diamond thinks it's a recession in six to nine months if jamie diamond is correct and he is the guy who runs the largest bank in the world right has a lot of political ties and all those fun things we talked about well let's just say he's right mm -hmm. you don't want to invest your money in something that you're, you can't utilize in six to nine months right there's penalties associated with it or, or taxes of some type mm -hmm. so i think in this particular in economic environment with the dollar actually going up for the first mm -hmm. time in a long time. I think you hold cash. Continue to stack chips. For a little longer and you wait three, six, nine months, you know, and you would look every three months or so and figure out where the economy's at. 
Mm-hmm. And then in the interim, you identify what it is you want to buy when uh, price is right. Right. Exactly. What is it that you want? You want you know more passive income. You know, increase your cash flow. Yeah. In Saeed's case, laser hair removal for his feet. Yeah, that's got to be on the table that's at some point. Be, this will get cheaper for you, bro. I, I got you. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll buy a free yeah. sesh. I mean, me to you, sesh. <laughs> exactly. I'll hook you up. I am hey. paying for this man's toe hair removal. No, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one's for me, clearly. Uh, where's the testosterone updates? How the nips holding up? LOL. Oh, the nips. The, the nips are the nips are <laughs> not as sensitive as they once were. It's disappointing for a lot of people. But let's see. My numbers still came back high. And to give everybody some perspective on what this looks like, I get tested uh, every couple of months or so, and it's at my low point on my lowest day. So when you wake up in the morning as a man, your testosterone is highest, and then it goes throughout the day, it gets a little lower. So when you wake up with, quote, morning wood or the morning erection, it's because your testosterone is really, really high. Mm-hmm. Your highest, it usually is for most men in the morning. Then it kind of goes down throughout the day. Right. Stress, life, these things bring it down. It's a normal thing. Every Thursday, I get my injection of HCG and testosterone. And at 3 p.m. or 3 to 5 p.m., somewhere in there. And that is my lowest point. That's when I also get my blood work done every couple of months. Mm-hmm. My blood work has consistently come back higher. They want you to, ideally, when you get tested on your lowest point and your lowest day, uh, they want you to come back somewhere between, call it, 800 and 1,000 at most, mm-hmm. right? Some people are more conservative and say between 600 and 800. What's the target range they're trying to get you to? Well, they want to get you to, that's the target range. That, that's the, tar- the range they're looking for. Yeah, even though I think um, s- standard is anywhere up to like 1,200, right? 300 to 1,100 is considered normal. They treat anything below 400 in testosterone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but truly you don't want to be at 1100 on your lowest point in your low day. Cause that means you're probably well over that right. throughout the rest of the week. Makes Mind sense. you, you get a shot once a week. So it tapers off. Uh, I started off at 150 milligrams of testosterone. I'm now down to 110 milligrams of testosterone because the last time I was tested at that time, I was, uh, I think about 1039. So for the people listening, tell us like, is there like an immediate impact feeling that you get like once, like, how does that affect you? Like, do you have any other, any side effects? Oh, so now that. So one of the things is you, once your body starts producing a, a ton of testosterone, like mine was when it first reacted, like I was, mm-hmm. I was off the charts, it was over 1,500. Your body also produces estrogen to counterbalance that. And right. that's when you get all those side effects. Like so I have nipple take, sensitivity and all yeah, that. Yeah, I had to take an estrogen blocker. I think it was an astrodol, whatever it's called, um, mm-hmm. to, to block a little bit of that. And I started, started taking zinc. For those of you who don't know, zinc is a natural testosterone. And we, jo- and we natural, joke about it, but this is common. I, I've heard other people talk about that they need estrogen blockers. Yeah, anytime you're on, anytime you're, you're testosterone is abnormally high or like higher that that's kind of a natural probable like side side effect right and for those of you who don't remember that's when i got all emotional watching peaky blinders i was having hot flashes and i was crying like a little girl and right and i, I won't get us i won't get us canceled just yet good call yeah, <laughs> yeah let's yeah. wait till we get up to the one percent range <laughs> yeah. and then you can get us canceled <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's a, a bigger mob to come after us there you go so um yeah all, all well and good i've added a lot of muscle mass i'm, I'm definitely leaner i haven't really tried to lean out per se but it, it's certainly uh, certainly a lot easier to gain muscle than I've ever experienced in my entire life. And I'm including when I was a kid too. So it, I would not go back and change anything. I would so, do this again. So by gaining muscle, that means you're probably able to intake more calories, your mm-hmm. body's burning more calories. So are you tracking? I know you used to be really, really heavy into tracking, the track, macros, tracking yeah. your macros and your calories. Um, are you back to tracking to see what your maintenance levels are now? No, I'm doing something a little different now. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think we talked about this. So I'm trying to get about a gram uh, per pound of body weight of protein. So in my case, a little over 250 grams a day. You're tracking that? Tracking that approximately. Approximation. I'm not using an app. I just kind of know how much I eat. Right. Uh, And then I don't really care about fat and carbs at this point. I'm not even even looking at it. Just trying Uh, to gain muscle, build muscle? 
No, I want to see what happens when I fast 16 hours a day for five days a week, mm-hmm. right? And then during the weekends, I'll eat like normal and have breakfast and the whole thing else. Uh, and I want to see what, what happens when I do that. And I, I don't really try, I try not to eat carbs until my last meal of the day. And my mm. last meal of the day is sometime before 7 p.m. And that's when I usually cut it off. Got it. And I'm just kind of playing with that to see, uh, to see what, some, what something a little bit more intuitive. A little more intuitive and, and hopefully sustainable a little bit because counting macros everywhere you go is not ideal for a dad. Yeah. I know. It used to be crazy. You used to walk around with a scale. Yeah. In my back pocket. Yeah. yeah it was really weird. It was very weird. Yeah. No one wanted to eat with us. Us? Why are you putting you in the? You didn't. Yeah, I would go to lunch with you, and you'd be like, "God damn, I'm sorry, guys. I had to apologize for you." Oh man, so many excuses. You didn't apologize for me once. You're lying all the time. Harry, tell the motherfucker. <laughs> all right. Uh, next question: When should you start an LLC for real estate portfolio? Good question. Very good question. I mean, I don't have a real estate portfolio to be able to answer this question, but from <laughs> we've talked about it on the big commercial real estate episode. Um, that I've from what I've seen and all the large portfolios, that's what the big players tend to do. Now, other people will wrap them up under their family trust. Yep. Um, that's another way to do it. But if you're, I would, I would imagine if you're aiming to build a large portfolio, then this would be the route that you want to go. Now, there are certain tax benefits. You know, there's tax consequences. You know, either which way. I'll let Chris answer that. But um, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Said Omar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My wife, my wife literally said today that she feels like I, I speak sultry to you. Yeah. Like I try to, sex, <laughs> you're, you're, I try you're competing. To get, she's like, you, you sound, you try to sound sexy when you talk to Saeed. And I'm like, you realize how weird of a picture you're painting. Like, yeah. I, I'm not in the studio till like two o'clock in the morning with Saeed drinking alcohol, like <laughs> speaking sexy to him. She's right. like, well, that's the way it sounds to me. And I said, well, yeah. then what do you, she's like, that's the way you talk to me. Not I said, adhering. have you ever considered that I'm sexy all the time? Yeah. No. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> drinking alcohol till two o'clock in the morning, not adhering to the sixteen-hour fast you just referenced. I'm drinking a diet coke, bro. There's no Come calories, on, man, that's you're, breaking a you're, fast. You're drinking a beer. Diet coke does not break a fast. Yes, it's it zero, do. Oh my it god, says zero fucking right. calories. Okay. What does that say? If hey, you, it ask, has no calories hey, in it. Hey, and by the way, if you're listening to this episode, make sure you tune in to Chris having an Instagram. Oh, it's today. Yeah, yeah the, the, the day this drops. Yeah, on Friday, October fourteenth. We're doing a 2 p.m. live with Adam Schaefer from MindPump. Right. So tune in. Make sure you ask Adam if that breaks your fast. I will ask Adam if that breaks my fast. You know what he's going to tell me? Yeah. Hi, he's a, he's a dumbass motherfucker. You shouldn't no, listen. No, you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, it doesn't matter, bro. Calories in, calories out. There's no calories. It, it says zero calories. What part of zero calories is confusing but, to you? No, but it triggers it, it triggers things in your brain that, to make you think that you are consuming something. What kind of bro ass? I wish Sal were here to slap you right bro, now. Oh, I, oh, my God. I can't wait to have this conversation. We can have this conversation. You can, okay. you can just take your hairy toes and wait. I can't wait for Sal right. to be on the podcast. Can we so- answer the, the question, please? Yeah. We, <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. So once you start an LLC for your real estate portfolio, this is going to vary very, very much by what state you're in and where you want to do this. So every state will have costs associated with an LLC that you have to pay. California, for example, has an $800 minimum tax filing fee, which bothers me, but you know, I have one, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you got to pay $800 a year either way. And then you got to file your statement of information every two years, I think for LLCs mm-hmm. uh, in California. That being said, you've got to figure out when that point is worth it. For me, the answer was simple is when a piece of real estate that I had was making me enough money to cover that expense, then I felt it insulated me for liability. But for the longest time, I didn't have an LLC holding any real estate. It was all mm-hmm. my family trust. Right. And something else to also know and, and keep in mind is that if you own 
uh, these LLCs outright by yourself. You wouldn't need to file uh, a separate tax return for them. They're considered disregarded entities, so you could still report the properties under your personal tax returns. Yeah, you. So if you have an LLC, you're talking about a single, or yeah. a single member LLC, right? Yeah, you have yeah, a if you own it outright by yourself, so yeah. sole member. Yeah. So that there, there's. You, you can effectively not file it for the LLC and it'll run through your personal tax return as a disregarded entity, just, right. to, just to clarify. But yes, very valid point. I actually yeah. forgot about that. Not saying that you're smarter than me. Yeah, I'm I know. You would never. I just, I, just, <laughs> I just forgot about it. I'm arrogant. I'm not supposed to say that you're smarter than me. That's how this works. Have you not read the Get the to reviews? the questions, man. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you had $100,000 of one company stock at the moment and it's still in the green, would you sell and why? Good question. Um, I do. <laughs> to answer yeah. that question and uh <laughs> and um would it would i sell no uh, i would not sell right um, it's I, in the I, green right now if it's in the green right now i mean i guess you could sell and and lock in your profits but i, I should put a little bit of an asterisk on this i typically only buy stocks in stock and company that i believe in for the long term right that was in a was in my first investment book that professor norris told me to read rule number one um, first rule number one is not to lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. Yeah. And then um, in there, the first thing they talk about is investing in things that you like, companies that you like, companies that you somewhat understand and enjoy. Mm -hmm. So if you like and you enjoy it and you feel like it's going somewhere, even though it may be taking a dip now, it'll go on the rise again later. So we do a lot of, I think Chris and I shared a lot of beliefs on long-term holds, right? Mm -hmm. Long-term holds. Oh, God. Come on, man. Don't do that, bro. Don't, 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 don't like do that. this. Don't do this. It's one o'clock in the morning. Don't do <laughs> don't, this. <laughs> you want to drink that beer, bro. <laughs> yeah, I do not disagree with anything he said other than the fact that he used uh, an interesting choice of, of uh, vocabulary. But uh, yeah, so I typically think that long-term holds uh, you know, are better. So uh, a great example is I own a lot of bank stocks because I know the sectors. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that sector is going to get smashed over the next year because what's going to happen is, is banks are going to be strained from a capital perspective and liquidity perspective. There's going to be some challenges because as we draw liquidity out of the market, these things happen. Right. Uh, banks are going to have to slow down their loan production a little bit or, or at least from where they were historically so that they can catch up to the rising interest rate environment. And as demand goes down for rates at these higher level, loans at these higher level of rates, you're going to wind up in a situation where, where that sector is going to take a little bit of punishment. But mm -hmm. I still believe in the, in the banks that I'm invested in and the people that I, that I see running them and the things that they're doing. So there's not a reason for me to fear the near-term recessionary economy. I'm looking seven, 10 years down the line. So those investments to me are significant. Now, if you need this money for some reason, if you need it to live on, if you're not thinking seven, 10 years out and, and you want to just take your money and run or you want to try to maximize profits, you can do that. I've just personally never traded that way. Mm -hmm. uh, next question. With the exponential rising cost of education, do you foresee any regulation in that sector coming? God, I would love it if that were true. I know, right? A lot of it is, uh, it varies. Um, do I foresee it? I don't know. It's hard to tell. It, it's so interwoven with uh, politics that it, it's hard to tell, right? I'm going to go a step farther than that. Okay. I'm going to say that education as we know it today is one of the biggest hustles next to religion. I know we probably lost a listener or two by me saying that. I'm not saying these things don't have their value. Right. I'm just saying they've been weaponized by a lot of people to get as much money out of you as they can. Yeah, I mean, there's corruption in every space. I corruption mean, you, you, you got yeah. you got to admit that. Yeah. Now, you know, people have their own separate beliefs, and, and we're not, you know, um, society's trying to walk back my negativity. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm not knocking religion or school. I'm, we're I'm not saying debating school. I'll give you. I'll use school because it's less polarizing than religion. But 
there's nothing wrong with going to school and trying to figure your life out. Matter of fact, if you don't know what you want to do or you're uncertain, that's the time where you do figure these things out. And yeah. It's a time where you try these things and you, and you try different subjects and you figure out who you are. Like, I'm all good with that. Right. But to put this pressure on people to think that it will determine the outcome of the rest of their life, that is an undue burden to put on an 18-year-old kid. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's throwing, imagine you're throwing an 18-year-old into a candy store or a baby into a candy store saying you have to pick one. Pick pick a subject that you want to major in. That's it. This is going to be your field. If you're, you know, yeah. pre-med, you're pre-law, whatever, it's like, I mean, that's a, that's a tough decision for a young adult to have to make. Um, and... They've weaponized it against them, and you want to get a little conspiratorial. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I you do know, it's conspiratorial. I mean, student loan debt is an is a really good way to keep the middle class right where they are. Oh, I mean, I could go on about this conspiracy theory in a different path too, which is right in line with this. We talked before the show. It it bothers me that inflation is going up, and yet we have the Inflation Reduction Act. We have student loan forgiveness. When we could take was it eighty billion dollars with the IRS. Yeah, you remember you it's forty five. It's forty five um, for enforcement, no, right? No, no, no. It's is it? I think it's eighty five million, right? Uh, whatever. It was. It was. It was a multi billion dollar inflation reduction act, like spending, right? Right. Here's a thought: these things are going to increase inflation anyway, right? Why don't we cut taxes for everyone and not spend here? Yeah, we don't need. We don't need a wartime loophole used to levy things like the inflation reduction act or student loan forgiveness right to print more money mm-hmm. to keep inflation high why don't we skip the debate over who who deserves student loan forgiveness why don't we skip the debate o- over what the inflation reduction act is doing other than we know for sure in the near term is going to increase inflation and why don't we just lower taxes and print the money to lower everybody's taxes and offset it this way consumers have more money to spend yes inflation is just as high Mm-hmm. but consumers have more money to spend. They're not worried about being audited. And now we don't have to have this debate over whether certain people and certain groups deserve student loan forgiveness and others don't. The impact is the same, yet it just leaves more money in the consumer's pocket. Leaves more money in the consumer's pocket. But the goal is not to really help, you know, the lower to middle to low income class. Well, and, there, and therein lies a conspiracy, right? So many of the things that we're told are built to help us seem to hurt us a whole hell of a lot more than it does an upper class. Right. It, take, it, it, it takes a lot of reading and digging to understand how these things will impact you. And they don't impact you right now. They'll impact us all down the road and in the future. But no, I, I don't see regulation coming into space. I wish, I wish there were. I wish there were almost, uh, almost like the FDIC monitors banks or the SEC monitors yeah, you know, people in, in the trading space and in, in the sectors of the markets. I wish there was something like that for schools that really had an at a certain point in size of class or individual or whatever it might be, or maybe just revenues or maybe endowments, whatever, whatever the, the, the moniker is right. that you have some on campus government agency whose job it is to just have oversight. I right. wish that was there, but I don't see that coming. Yeah. Uh, next question. Do you think Bernanke should have gotten the Nobel prize for unjamming the money printer? Abso-fucking-lutely I do. Yeah. I, I like Bernanke. I think he was massively underrated. And for the, I, for the people that are listening, he served as the Fed chair mm-hmm. for almost eight years, served yeah. under Uncle Georgie, George W. Uh, and, first, uh, first or second? And, no, second. And, yeah. and Uncle Barack. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I like Bernanke. I thought he was I thought he was excellent. I think everybody during the economic cycle thought he was excellent. Maybe he was the benefactor of some good things from an economic perspective, perspective prior to that. But I do like how he handled 
his position a lot better than how Jerome Powell does. Right. Jerome Powell is trying to be much more communicative and they relied a lot more on the Fed minutes back then. So they, he was asked about this. I actually watched an interview because you shared the questions with me this week. Thank you. Um, and he agrees that he was, he was cornered pretty bad. Who's he, uh, Powell or Bernanke? Bernanke. And Bernanke was cornered and basically had to agree that, yeah, he thought, you know, how Jay Powell has handled this has been a mistake, mm. you know? Yeah. He had to agree, but he also defended him and thinking that, look, you had to kind of, you also have to kind of understand he didn't want to shock everybody outright. And he really did. It's you, you can see why he would have thought that it, um, inflation was transitory and that this was really a supply chain issue that would ultimately solve itself. But I mean, yeah, playing Monday morning quarterback, it's easy to say that he made a mistake. Mm. What is going on in the UK government bond markets and what's our exposure in the US? Mm, good question. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit, I think, a couple episodes ago. We did because Jim Cramer came out and identified what he thought was a very intelligent move by the UK to bring back quantitative easing and to back off of their, their monetary policy because he felt that you know they were looking at the data and the data was suggesting they were going the right way. Meanwhile, their currency is falling big time. The US currency is, is creeping up and the bond markets are now starting to fall off because I think that was clearly the wrong thing to do uh, for their monetary policy. And I think obviously Jim Cramer and my history with him is that, that he was wrong. Right. Uh, so therein lies what's going on in the markets. Now, do I think there's exposure in the U.S.? I, I think this actually kind of works out well for the U.S. I think number one, it reinforces that our, our Fed monetary policy is going the right way. Right. Number two, I think our currency is going to continue to climb versus their currency for the foreseeable future, at least until they address this issue. Right. Uh, and number three, I, I think what it does is it, sets the tone for the rest of the world economies on how serious this is and how you cannot back off. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because uh, they didn't back off, right? They actually turned the printing presses for the money back on. Mm -hmm. You know, so they're handling it the other way as, as if, imagine if uh, the U.S. government um, would turn and the Fed would just turn the printing press back on. Everyone started getting more money again just to solve the problems right away. And, and that would be considered a pivot. Well, I should say this, uh, it, it, it's not too dissimilar from what the legislative group has done with the acts that they have passed. Right. But they are not in charge of the Fed interest rates. In addition to that, if, right. imagine if the Fed and the legislative group were working in conjunction, that's what's happening in London right now. Yeah. Is everyone's backing off their positions and going the other way. Going the other way. So then, I mean, the ramifications of that we won't see, I don't, who knows, but they'll show themselves in the near future. Well, I think it's already seeing. You're already seeing it with the dollar rising. I just think you're you're not going to see their currency tank as much as you're going to see ours get stronger per se. Yeah. But unless we're making more money ourselves, it, you know, the buying power for import export it can only go so far. Right. So there, there lies another challenge. But um, I, I think we should probably get into that with a little more data in the next episode. But I want to give it a week or two. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, before the next episode, I want to give it like a week or two to let it develop a little more, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about that in in more detail. Okay. Uh, second question, what's going on with the housing market in China? What's our exposure? Oh, good question. This is not the first time this has happened in China where uh, people have gotten so enamored and in love with the idea of real estate being the best place for their money that there are literally ghost towns now, once again, in China, these mm -hmm. brand new developments where people were, were buying, buying real estate because you, quote, could not lose mm -hmm. and they're vacant. Uh, the value is not there. The demand is not there. People can't buy. Interest rates have gone up for them. So 
their largest real estate, uh, I think, investor or fund or something like that. I think it's their fund. Uh, uh, I think it's fall apart. I think it's called Evergrande. Yeah, Evergrande. That's right. Uh, so Ever, I did some, it's with I, an E, right? G yeah. Grande. Yeah, Grande, Grande. Right. So I did some research on this too. Uh, so it's not uncommon in people for people in China to start paying for homes as they're being developed, almost like as you would see like a construction right. loan. And it's not uncommon for them to leave them like vacant. And believe their money is still appreciating over time. Right. Like that's their checking account, savings account right. kind of concept. So with the market coming down, what they're starting to see over there apparently are people are defaulting on on loans on properties mm -hmm. that aren't done being built yet. So the developers, unlike here, they're not building them and then selling them off, right? They're as as they're getting paid, they're continuing to build. So now people are de are defaulting. So I got some numbers for you. This is kind of scary. Yeah. The boycott loans worth are worth as much as $297 billion, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's on 300 plus pro, uh, 300 plus sit in 90 cities. Let the record show that Saeed's reading is almost as bad as mine. No, I, I, it was a typo. It's, it's mainly across Eastern China. It's the typo's right? fault. <laughs> it's the typo's fault. <laughs> so the Chinese mortgage market is worth $7 trillion and the boycott is worth approximately 4% of it. Yeah, it's big. It's huge. The last time this happened, it really took a bite out of, out of China's economy. To take it a step further, the residential real estate markup makes 30% of China's GDP. Yeah. 30%. Mm -hmm. Not too dissimilar from the U.S. for that matter. Uh, well, for comparison, actually, the U.S. was 17% last year. Of What was the 30% Re of? Residential real estate makes oh, up 30% of GDP. Uh, I mean, kind of. That, that was according to Goldman Sachs. So I don't, yeah, know. I, don't know, I don't really, I don't really agree with the reference because we know that like the rent and rent equivalent makes up about 32% of the U S economy yeah. is for, for CPI for our inflation. So oh, yeah. I'd be interested to see that the numbers behind that, but I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it's right. And I just don't understand it per se, but, but that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty crazy. So when this question came in, I, I, you know, did some reading into it and it's, it's scary because it's not, it doesn't just affect China, right? This affects all global, the global markets. So not as much as it, as it did the first time this happened about a decade ago. Okay. Uh, I think at this point in time, most of the people, so the way this works is, is most people who had their money there are now the Chinese markets. Yeah. Right. Like they're, they're people invested there. They were the ones who buying these properties. Right. It wasn't like foreign buyers like it is in the U S right. Uh, but I do think that you're going to see this impact their ability to buy here and some of the wealth that's been coming from China into the U.S. So it's going to have some impacts, but certainly not what it once did to the United States. So I think wouldn't the fear for them be that, you know, they would start selling off and then taking their wealth for whatever it is and, and fleeing? Well, who's going to buy? Yeah, I mean. Who's going to buy this with a, with a flood? Most of these are unfinished, right? Most, some of them will never get finished. Yeah. Uh, there, there are entire towns in China that, that from the last time this happened, yeah. that just never got finished. Full so. infrastructures, right? And it's just completely mm -hmm. empty. Yes. It, it's, it's, you should go online and check it out. It's striking the photos. Right. Like they literally like, I mean, you're talking like towers, buildings, like roads, infrastructure, the whole thing and just wide open, nothing in them. You, you've been to China, right? Mm -hmm. You, you know, I mean, you didn't. I've driven through and have seen it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there, there was, um, last time I was in Guangzhou. Um, which is a textile manufacturing kind of area. You, the cranes were everywhere, and outside of Shanghai too. When you drive into Shanghai from the airport, I mean, there there are crane. There were cranes everywhere, just constantly building, just constantly building, constantly building, constantly building. And that that only, it's only going to last for so long. Yeah. And the spaces are getting smaller. They're going more vertical. And if you build one of these giant towers in an outlying town, and people say, "Well, oh, the town will grow into it," well, the town doesn't always grow into it. Well, think about it, man. If the developers go down, right, and how many jobs? 
are lost there. And then what about the banks that are also funding these projects too? Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, I don't know. I think uh, China's, I think, I think the person who ran that, there was like a whole lot of like uh, turmoil and fallout too with some of the stuff that was going on there. I don't, it's been like, I don't know, probably eight or nine months. It's actually like read on Evergrande, but it right. was, it was, a, it was a, some pretty tumultuous stuff going on there inside mm-hmm. the company. In and of they itself have $300 too. billion dollars in debt. Um, they've been cited actually to miss some payments. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. surprise me at all. Uh, thoughts on Tesla, both, uh, as stock and as the owner of the vehicle, uh, stock I like, I just don't think that Tesla is really an automotive company. Mm. I think it's a data company. Right. Uh, so I like the stock. I do own the stock personally in, in my account, in my son's investment account. So I do think there's a long-term play there. I do believe in the company for that purpose. Right. Uh, the car, I mean, like we have a model X, I love it. We just had it wrapped. It looks really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a cool car. I I was on the waiting list for the, uh, Cybertruck, but. Still haven't gotten an update. It's been well over a year at this point, maybe even closer to two. But yeah, uh, and I'm gonna get the Rivian when that comes out. I'm not married to the brand per se, but I, I truly believe in in what they're doing, and they're they're way way ahead of the curve as far as data collection goes. So exactly, they're they're gonna be the main supplier for that. Right. And I think if when you're investing when you're investing in Tesla, you're also investing in Elon, right? Oh uh, yeah, not really per se Elon. I, I think the at this point in time, the the, the company is bigger than him. Yeah. A little bit. Maybe not. But, you know, it should survive him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who's winning the World Cup? Fuck. Yeah. Uh-uh. and I both don't, don't really know. Uh, I guess the, whatever team Cristiano's on? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, Argentina, Lionel Messi. That's my guy. He's a Kobe guy, so I ride with him. I don't watch sports anymore. Yeah. So. <laughs> I have nothing to contribute here other than to say that I stopped watching sports uh, when I stopped playing basketball, largely including basketball. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do if uh, Carter wants to start playing some sports? Oh, I'll be fully into whatever he wants to do, but I don't want to spend two, three hours of my day at this point in life because it's now. Right, but what if he wants? Let's say he really gets into basketball. You said actually, you told me he likes basketball. Yeah, he does. He loves basketball. What if he wants to start watching basketball? I'd watch it all day long with him because the the value add to my life will not be watching the game; it'll yeah. be watching it with him. It'll, it'll be cool because it'll yeah, it'll bring you yeah. back to the sport, and then I feel like you'll have a lot, a lot to give to him. Yeah, at this point in time, I've got no value to, to watching sports. Yeah, I, I'm actually on the same boat now. I mean, up until like the last couple of years, um, I would it'd be rare that I miss like a Laker game. But time is so limited now that I'd rather spend that time with my wife, with my kids, you know, doing other things. We got a lot more questions to go. You want to go rapid fire? Let's go. Right. I mean, we're already at an hour and 11. I know, right? Uh, what do you think of the five OG fans starting a higher standard fam podcast on Instagram? Do it. Higher fam page on Instagram. Do it. I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> you can start a fan page or you can just follow us on Instagram. It is a uh, higher standard uh, pod. Yeah. Uh, on Instagram. The links are in my uh, Instagram page and certainly not on Saeed's non-existent Instagram page. Coming soon. Maybe. Maybe. You said that for like three or four weeks. Yeah, stay now. tuned. Oh, we got to do our photo shoot, then maybe I'll do one. <laughs> you, need, you need photo shoot photos <laughs> yeah, before you can get on exactly. social media? Jesus. No question, just fuck that guy in your comments the other day. Yeah, fuck that guy. Um, shout out to Kells who asked this question. So a dude attacked me, was super, super alpha, and was like trying to challenge me to a sales competition. And look, I said on in my own, I posted it to my, my story so that I could share it, not to, to really like, give this guy any limelight or attack him but more to share that i remember what it's like to be poor yeah i remember what it's like to be hungry i remember what it's like to to, to see the potential inside of myself and recognize that nobody else saw that right 
I could tell this guy was so hungry for an opportunity. And what he really wanted was a job. He didn't know how to ask, but he was coming off like, you know, you're fake. You know, you wouldn't be where you're at today. The, you know, you, you, you got, you got a silver spoon in your mouth and what? none of this could be, oh, he had no, no reference point, but yeah, he, has, he doesn't even know anything about you. No, he doesn't know anything about me. It couldn't have been any farther from the truth. I actually had a, a pretty long winded exchange back and forth with a guy where I, I didn't, I didn't like snap at him. I was emotionally controlled the entire time. And I just tried to talk to him. Yeah. You're really good about that. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could have that level of control. I have to be because of the position that I'm in and the yeah. company that you know we're with and there's, right. there's a board and shareholders and people out there. But more importantly, I don't ever want my son to look back on these messages and read daddy was an idiot. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. And I don't know how long those will be out there, you know, presumptively forever. So yeah, from far away, you both look like fools. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. Um, how has TRT affected you positives and negatives? Um, okay. Uh, negatives, the initial period while your body's adjusting kind of sucks a little bit. Uh, it's not terrible, but it's certainly, uh, a long game that it takes to get chemically right. I'm just now starting to kind of get where I feel used to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really the only negative I have is, is that that adjustment period sucks. The positives are all the things you would think I'm leaner. I'm stronger. I'm certainly got more energy sleeping. Well, I sleep a lot better. I never had any sexual performance issues like that before, but I would say that I feel like I'm 18 again, like when you wake up in the morning and, right, and right. something like the, you know, it's got a mind of its own stuff going on down there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have noticed like testicle shrinkage. If anybody's asking, that's a real thing. Like I, even though I get HCG, which is supposed to keep your natural body uh, oh, okay. up, but probably the upside is it all kind of looks better and bigger in the mirror as a result because, you know, oh, <laughs> you know but, I mean, other than that, Jesus. Though, there's no negatives that I can think of. Uh, I, I truly, uh, I don't think I should have done it sooner. I'm, you know, starting my forties was probably the best way to go, but yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it's a healthy call. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's had such a bad stigma for so long where there's so many health benefits to it that it's, it's a shame. Um, so, uh, I mean, definitely something that I'll look into when I get as old as you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't want to see you. Oh, here's a fun fact. Just just, if you're, if you're thinking about it, I don't want you to, you know, if you are thinking about laser hair removal, (laughs) okay. The. The hormone changes in your body. Hormone, the hormone, (laughs) (laughs) the hormone changes in your the hormone changes in your body will actually cause the hair to grow back if you have laser hair removal. So some of the hair, like my arms, growing back now Uh, uh, as a result of the hormone change. But so if you want to get your laser hair removal on your toes, no, no, I'm good. I like it. Feel manly. Okay. Yeah, I like it. It doesn't bother my the hair on my arms. Don't bother me. I was talking about your toes, but that's fine. You yeah, on my toes. I don't have hair on my toes. You, people, you people are going to start believing toes. I have hair. Oh my! You do have hair in your toes. The only person you're lying to is you. Okay, fuzzy <laughs> foot. All right. Um, what's the best way to find markets uh, rental rates? Find a market rental rates mm. uh, for rental property. Uh, so for single family, it's relatively easy. You can you can look up similarly situated properties in the market and see what they what they rent for um, by looking at like Zillow and Redfin. They all they always have for rent there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you have like a smaller market, like a community with like two thousand homes in it, there's generally you know at least five or six that are available for rent, and they're usually similarly situated. Right, you can kind of ballpark it there. If you're in a larger market, uh, it's really easy to call around and ask someone, you know, hey, what is your this you know are you that unit rent for, and figure out what that's at. Now, keep in mind that the larger, bigger structures generally have amenities that you your your structure won't. Um, but the, certainly the easiest way to do to do this is to go to your real estate agent. Or go to your property manager if you have one and say, look, I'm thinking about buying the area. I need to know what these rent for. Right. 
they will generally t- have tools that'll tell them that that they can in turn tell you. I like to lever market area expertise. I can't look on Zillow for every single market. I think Adam and I had this conversation at one point in time too. So you really have to to work with a realtor that knows investment real estate and knows what you can get. And my sister is very, very good for me. She's my realtor in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And we go back and forth on this. She's not always been 100% um, accurate on where we wind up, but she's always been very, very close to where we wind up. Right. So uh, that that's how I do it. Um, and then obviously, as you get into the market, you kind of know what things are. How can I be more like you? Um, wow. Wow. Um, that's so another probably, question for me. You would have to fail. A lot. <laughs> uh, you have to be arrogant and you certainly no, no come on be honest I don't, I don't really know how to answer the question i would say um if you're talking about investment in finance stuff you've really got to just geek out on on, on this kind of stuff and you got to do it for a long time um if you're talking about you know the image of wealth or success i would argue that when i look in the mirror i don't see any of that yeah um something that i noticed that you probably won't talk about or it's hard to like have a you know look yourself in the mirror and have this conversation but um something that chris does that's rubbed off on me a little bit and something that i'm trying to pass on to my son pass on to my son and daughter is you know to uh, always be curious you know um adam actually asked me the other day he was um he had some like behavior stuff issues back in like a couple months ago and we've now resolved those things but um I was telling him like Adam, you know, some of the things that you do, you think they're cool. That's not cool. That doesn't make you cool. He's like, he's like, Dad, what, what, what makes somebody cool? Like, you know what makes somebody cool? It's like, never stop asking questions. Always be curious. Mm-hmm. And if and if and if somebody doesn't have an answer, go find that answer. Don't don't stop. And I think you do that really well. Um, you know, you'll you'll go above and beyond to find the answer yourself, and you won't stop until you get that answer. You're you're you know you're a persistent that? motherfucker. I am a persistent motherfucker, and I'm disciplined. You know you know why I do it though. Mm. It's the easiest way for me to learn is by doing. Yeah. At least not everybody's that way. I'm sure some people are other uh, different ways. For me, the research, the time that goes into understanding something, like the lighting in, in the studio. Yeah. I didn't know anything about lighting, you know, six months ago. Right. But I took the time to learn. I made some certain mistakes along the way, like different clamps, different lights that worked. And But learning what worked and what didn't work and making those mistakes are what taught me what to do. Right. So, and this, and that's another thing that you touched on right there. That is something that I preach to my son and daughter almost every single day is I feel like if you can teach your kids the superpower of not being afraid to fail, that's a superpower. Bro, you, I had this conversation today with my, my wife or my son, right? I'm like, it's a, if, if you can teach your kids, at least I think so. This is, this is my own hypothesis. Just the, the ability of not being afraid to fail. That that will be a superpower that'll be unlocked for them that they will be able to succeed, you know, for in anything that they want to accomplish. I made my son cry today. And I'm gonna I'm gonna admit right now, this this is one of those moments I'm not proud of as a dad. Why? Because I, I felt sometimes you have to be hard though. I, I was I was hard. Yeah. So in the, in my my son's three, and I I'm gonna admit I know how this looks, and I don't I don't I don't make any excuse for it. I, I did apologize to him, I did talk to him like normally afterward, but him and his mom were going upstairs after we picked him up from school. Okay. And he wanted to, normally his mommy and him race up the stairs and, you know, mommy lets him win and he always beats mommy and daddy up the stairs. Right. Mommy went up the stairs because she had to go to the bathroom. And he got halfway up the stairs and said, no, I want to win. Mm, we've done this in our house. And he didn't want to go upstairs. And I popped off on him. I'm like, hey, man, you get upstairs. You yeah. go. Right. It's not about you winning. It's about you finishing. Yeah. And I know he's three in. 
And he didn't want to go upstairs. He didn't want to go upstairs because he wasn't going to win. Right. And I got angry. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about him winning or not winning. It was about him not trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I hate the idea. And a lot of people do this in life. It's not just my three-year-old son. Like, I don't care if somebody wins or loses. Right. I do care if you don't try. Right. And in that moment, it was, he didn't want to, he didn't want to try to go up the stairs and, and beat mommy because he knew he was going to lose. Yeah, I know. And this is something that is becoming, you know, you see a lot more gentle parenting these days. And I'm, look, I'm a gentle parent. I'm the first person that I've, I, I, I believe in never, it, but there are times, there are times where you have to pick and choose. You know, when you're in the moment now, this is a moment. For instance, I recently taught my son how to ride a bike. And we were out there. It was a hot day. You know, it was hot days out here in Southern California. And when you wear socks and shoes over your hairy like toes, yeah. you sweat a lot. Yeah. And there? so uh, dry fit, dry fit socks. That, that's, the solution. that's the solution. That's the solution. So those, I, those are dry fit socks. By the yeah, way. I know. For the record, he he is not, this is not hyperbole. He is actually wearing dry <laughs> fit socks. So um, literally, I'm teaching him how to ride a bike and he fell off his bike and he fell off his bike and the handlebars went into his stomach and it hurt him. And he... Um, he started to cry. And I said, I understood. I'm like, hey, buddy, it's okay. It's fine. Let's get up. And he got up, you know, to his credit. And then he said, let's go home. And I knew in, the, I knew in that moment right there. Yeah, we're not going home. No, no, no. We're not going home. If, I, if we go home, I know you're not coming back and trying this again. So I said, no, we're not. Get on the bike. Just like that. And, you know, mommy was too far away for, for her to come save him. And it was one of those moments where I knew I had to be hard on him. And then he learned and then he excelled and he was happy for it later. So but you have to pick and choose. I feel like we have to pick and choose when to be tough, when not to be tough. Mm, I'm going to leave that there. Yeah. Well, well said. Two last questions. Make them real fast because we are walking into an hour and a half long episode. And wow. frankly, nobody should be forced to listen to us for an hour and a half. True. It's, it's just too much, Chris. Credit to you. Not enough sight. Yeah. All right. Do you think there will be an economic bubble crash, uh, i.e. interest rates, real estate, stock? Interest rate crash? This is from my guy, Matt. Mm-hmm. Matt's my homie. I love Matt. Okay. He, he's like family to me, although we never met. Oh, he's, really? He's on the East Coast. He's a Jeep guy. Oh, he's a Jeep guy? Yeah. Oh, I'm a Jeep guy, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You can't yeah. throw that out there? All three of us in this room right now, Matt here, figuratively, us two in real yeah. life. Yeah, I'm doing the Jeep wave right now. At 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, I do think there is a correction coming. The crash word we don't like. It's right. nebulous. It's generally, I think, 20% or more. We talked about on, I think, the episode that dropped uh, last last Friday. Or no, mm-hmm. last Tuesday. Or what day is today? Today's Monday. Last Friday. Yeah. Um, so, look, do I think there's more pain? Yeah. Jamie Diamond thinks there's more pain, too. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you Uncle Jamie don't hurt, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He knows a couple of things about this that, you know, we don't. But, uh, yeah, I do think there's a lot more coming. So I think interest rates are going to continue to rise a little bit. I think you're going to see a little bit of slower progression in the coming months. But certainly, uh, we, we called it. We said it a thousand and one times at this point. You know, high sixes, low sevens, where we end up for the year end. I think we're certainly on target there. Wouldn't be surprised if we even stay at sevens. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're, we're going to wind up being in there. Uh, real estate, I do think there's a correction in a lot of markets coming, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the stock market, if you listen to Jamie Dimon, you know, he thinks there's there's a lot more value that can be erased and eroded, and I, I, I tend to absolutely believe that. Now, do I think any of this is going to happen in, in a way that's going to be a, quote, crash? We haven't been able to pinpoint anything yet that will be a catalyst for a massive change that you could later on look right. back and say a crash. Do I think this will be a slow burn over time that will be a prolongated correction? Absolutely. Right. So anything to add there? Right, boy? No, no. I'm right on right on with you. Right. Last question. Let's go. And we got to pick a winner. And then we got to pick a winner. 
My man, Danny, once again, for those who could potentially lose their job slash income this recession, what are ways to prepare? All right. Fair question. That could lose their job and what yeah. ways to prepare? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a friend talk to me about this over the weekend. You have friends? I have friends. Um, few, but friends. Imaginary? Real? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he wanted to jump ship and move over to another company that um, was essentially a startup. I'll be like, that's not the best time. I wouldn't think it's the best time. Eh, you know, but we started the bank in, in during the recessionary economy. Oh, seven, man. Right. But if if you have tenure at a place that you're at right now, if you want to play it safe is what I'm saying. Right? The safe bet would probably be to, to stay where you are if you have some tenure there. How old is this person? Kids? No kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Family. All that. Oof. Yeah, toughie. So um, I, I, I had to tell him, like, I, don't, I personally, that's just my opinion. Now you can do whatever you want. I would say start a side hustle at this point and not leave your primary job. If his job is truly secure and yeah. he's not worried about it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say start a side hustle mm-hmm. at night. Be committed enough to work on it, you know, obviously. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out and jump out and try something new unless it's uh, five to nine. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Right. Learn a skill, you know, do something new there. Yeah. Uh, I would say the easiest way for you to prepare is to look at your output outflow of money a lot of people underestimate how much they're spending i'm not saying do the dave ramsey you can't have a cup of coffee thing or anything like that anything right. crazy but what i am saying is, is look at your outflow do you need all those apps on your phone do you need that all these subscription services subscription services are a silent, silent killer for a lot of a lot of reasons yeah and i would say sit down and look at how much money you're spending look at how much money you're making and try to make sure that your finances are is in line and as reasonable as they can be cut the superfluous stuff out that that's unnecessary like you don't need a face app yeah, you know, a reface app. You don't need, you know, you don't need to 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 spend on a Peloton if you're going to the gym, you know, mm. membership. So pick pick and choose the right things you should be spending on it and look at what's a waste. Truly a waste. Yeah. That's easy, easy thing to do right there. Get your expenses in line. Look at your income and ask yourself, you know, are you on a commission-based job? And realign your expectations if you are. I know a lot of really frustrated people that are on commission-based jobs right now, whether it's oh, yeah. real estate or not. That, that are having to realign their expectations with a changing economic landscape. Right. That's an, that's an easy, easy win for you. If you're not in that kind of job, are you in a retail job? You know, are your hours going to get cut back? Are you a salaried person where, you're, where your job is relatively stable? If, if you are, look at your company. Is your company going to be impacted? Do you think your job is at risk? You need to ask yourself all these questions in, in a very tough, realistic, and honest way. So that you're not surprised by things that come. And the, 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 the more honest you are with yourself, the, the better you can answer these questions, the more prepared you will be for what may come. Right. A lot of what impacts, I think, people who are laid off and lose their job is the feeling of shock and the feeling of fear. Not planning, right? If you can plan and get ahead of those things to the extent that you're emotionally ready for them, you've cut down the expenses that you're spending, you're going to be about as prepared as you can be and as optimistic as you can be to get out there and find another job. Great advice. You know, it is pretty damn good advice, Saeed. It is good. Now pick a damn question. Let's go. There was a lot of questions, man. A lot of questions. All right. Why don't you limit, give me three to pick from? Three to pick from. We did talk about your feet a lot. Okay. So how much uh, are you making from feet picks? Yeah, not on there. Option one. Yeah. You don't like that one? No. Uh-huh. Really? Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, when should you start an LLC for real estate portfolio? Oh, like that one, obviously. I like that one. 
the the last one we read that could potentially prepare for your job. I, mm-hmm. I like that one as well. And um, hmm, one more rogue one. Um, best yeah. investment strategy for a baby: the five twenty nine plan. First, oh, I like that one. I like that one the most. Really? Yeah. Best investment strategy for a baby. Everyone says five. I think because I think I think we go against the grain on that. That not a lot of people, not a lot of people would you know consider. You know, I think um, planning for your child's education is something that's been ingrained in us. That if you were to speak to a financial advisor or planner, that's probably a go-to for them. And once they once they hear that you have kids, like oh, you got to get your kid into a five twenty-nine plan. You know, um, and to hear that maybe that might not be the best choice is worth noting. I like that one. All right. But what, well, what about you? No, I'm going with that. You you picked the winner. All right. So I already sent the message. The message went out just now to Dan Pred. Thank you, Dan. Dan Pred. And thank I, you to everyone else sending in questions. Asked him for his Venmo information, and hopefully he he won't see this at 1:42 in the morning on, on the West Coast and say, "What in the actual fuck are these guys doing?" Yeah, he can actually verify that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we wrote like, this late. Like, what what are they doing? Yeah. All right. Well, before we sign off. Anything left to say to the kids out there? It's not I'll see you next week. It's I'll see you next time. Or I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Is that what you normally say? It was very unenlightening to end the show with. Really? Can we do this again? Okay, run it back. Right. Before we go, is there anything else you have to say to the kids out there? No, go ahead. You got anything? I do. Hit me with it. Okay, a few things for you guys to think about until you hear our voices again. First and foremost... I want you to try to find photos of Saeed online because you cannot deny <laughs> oh, don't do this. I that took someone some... with his particular aesthetic does have toe hair. Oh my God. It's just a biological predisposition. Don't get mad at me. You're going to try to title the show this. I, I might actually do that. <laughs> yes. It, it is a little late to be creative, yeah. but we'll figure that out. But more importantly, I want to say thank you to everybody who sent, submitted questions. Uh, it really means a lot, frankly, to us that, so many of you do respond. I mean, we started at least my social media account. There, there wasn't a whole lot of engagement. We went a lot of wrong ways. And to see so many people out there really engaging and interacting with us, it means a tremendous amount. And we will and try to answer everybody's questions for as long as we can. Hopefully, we always can. I know there's a risk that we might not always be that way. But mm-hmm. uh, it really, truly means a lot to see how far this show has come and to see how much you guys really like seeing it and listening to it. And I send Saeed everybody's messages via text all the time it really really makes our day so instead of see you next time we'll say thank you yes thank you everybody i hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the higher standard podcast make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you were listening to this on if you like this episode please write a review and share it with us you're getting the show up and running right now so every message every review and every note counts This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.